today on CityCast Madison. The Wisconsin Supreme Court race is a buzz and much more than usual. Our state court elections used to fly under the radar, but those quiet days are over with an increasingly political bench. Abortion rights, voting rights, gerrymandering. Control of the court hangs in the balance. It's the first time in nearly 15 years that there could be a huge power shift. We sat down with Jeff Mayers, president of wispolitics.com, an online political news service in Madison. It's Thursday, December 8th. I'm Bianca Martin, and this is CityCast Madison. So, Jeff, why are people already talking about this Supreme Court race? Am I wrong in thinking these races tend to be kind of sleepy and the primary is not until February? What's at stake here? Well, people are excited because it means the uh, philosophical control of the state Supreme Court, which has been in conservative hands since 2008. Democrats have been inching back. You know, they won a big election with uh, Jill Karofsky in 2020. And, uh, you know, that narrowed the gap to uh, 4-3 with Brian Hagedorn, a conservative uh, who is kind of a swing vote in big decisions. Republicans are really honed in on trying to keep a philosophical majority on the court that has, uh, you know, served them well from uh, redistricting to certain election decisions. All these things are building up. You have big decisions probably coming up on abortion rights. The redistricting matter could come back before the court. Uh, You have all kinds of elections decisions that could be revisited or come back before uh, the court in a different way. So, you know, all these things are controversial um, in a a swing state, in a purple state um, that receives a lot of national attention and decides uh, presidential elections. You know, these things are really important. You have a four-way primary coming up. The parties will get involved uh, after that, uh, assuming that a a liberal and a conservative get through. So it's uh, it's high stakes. It's definitely high stakes. And as you said, so the justices are going to be deciding on things like the abortion law, talking about redistricting, different things about how elections run. There's the huge attention on those issues. And this is talking about the control of the court. So let's talk about the candidates. Like you said, Um, so far, there are four two conservatives, two liberals. Uh, And we should say that these races are officially nonpartisan. But for all intents and purposes, uh, this is a partisan race. On the conservative side, there's Jennifer Doro, the Waukesha County judge. She's challenging Dan Kelly, the former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. And would you tell us how do those two conservative candidates differ? Well, I'm not, not sure they differ on the issues uh, that much. That remains to be seen. Uh, Jennifer Duro, is a, she's known primarily for presiding over the uh, Waukesha County Christmas uh, Parade trial. I don't think we know that much about where she is on certain issues that would come before the Supreme Court. I mean, I think she's a grassroots conservative. The difference is we know what Dan Kelly is. I think that's what the Dan Kelly campaign is banking on in some respects. He was appointed by Scott Walker. He seems to be favored by Scott Walker in part because his son, Alex Walker, is running the campaign. He was appointed by Walker but lost to Jill Karofsky in 2020. And uh, he's been running basically uh, for the court ever since. Jennifer Duro is a a former prosecutor and a former defense counsel. 
you know, he came up through the ranks clerking for judges and, um, you know, working on big cases, in fact, on a redistricting case. So she's more of a of the grassroots and he's a, a more of the Federalist Society, you know, a sort of big judicial issue types. And so um, it's a contrast in styles at the moment. I don't think we know exactly, is there an issue breakdown where they differ? So grassroots versus establishment, in essence. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, you know, I mean, Dora was also appointed by Scott Walker, but she's, you know, appointed to a Waukesha County judgeship. Let's talk about the liberals. It looks like Madison versus Milwaukee. There's Everett Mitchell, a Dane County judge, and Janet Protasiewicz, the Milwaukee County judge. How would those two candidates differ? What What do we know about them? Well, they're you know I think they're much different in style. Again, would they differ on you know the uh, you know the key cases? You know, again, judges aren't supposed to be campaigning on I will take this position if elected. I think there's uh, less nuance um, in uh, Supreme Court campaigns these days on things like that. You know, Everett Mitchell, um, he would be the first African-American elected to the court. Uh, Louis Butler was appointed to the court by Governor Jim Doyle and then um, uh, lost uh, in 2008 to Michael Gableman. And Jim Doyle is uh, actually supporting Everett Mitchell. And Everett Mitchell has been a a Dane County uh, judge for uh, a couple terms. He heads the um, juvenile crime section and is proud of uh, reducing uh, recidivism amongst uh, Dane County youth. He's a Baptist minister. He's a dynamic candidate, and he's from very blue, very voter, uh, Democratic voter-rich Dane County. Judge Janet, you know, she's has a long career in, in Milwaukee County judicial and law and order background. She was a prosecutor in the district attorney's office, specialized in victims' rights often. Then she became a, a Milwaukee County judge. And she's a, a woman uh, in, a, uh, in a race where abortion rights is, is still going to be on the ballot like it was in November. So I think that that's a pretty good place to be in, in politics right now. It's possible that we have we end up with two conservative, you know, there's two spots and two conservatives could get it. It's not necessarily likely, right? But it's possible. Right. I think it's unlikely that we'd have two conservatives or, or two liberals, but I don't think we can rule that out until we can see how the campaigns are forming. One of the candidates have recently gotten so much media attention, which is Jennifer Doro, right? Because she presided over the Waukesha Christmas Parade trial where the man drove into a parade and killed six people. Uh, She issued the maximum sentence against Daryl Brooks, the attacker who's out on bail. How do you think this trial might set the tone for this election? Well, it certainly helps her get a a start. You know, as I said, the problem is she does it. Her campaign is starting from zero compared to where Dan Kelly's campaign was. So she has a lot of work to do in the financial backers of the super PAC backing Dan Kelly signal they'll spend whatever it takes. So can she match that? Can a grassroots a media-driven campaign you know, say, let's say all of Milwaukee talk radio says Judge Duro is the one, you know? Um, okay, um, could that counter the uh, the money on uh, and the experience of the of uh, the Dan Kelly campaign, yeah. maybe it's you know uh, talk radio in Milwaukee isn't as united uh, perhaps as it used to be, but you know it's certainly talk radio if it does conservative talk radio and conservative media 
if they do get behind a candidate, that can that is that is meaningful and it can work certainly in primaries. I'm curious about the the being tough on crime, like in terms of this uh, trial, how that might in terms of the issues and how that might drive some of the discussion we're seeing around the election. Right. Well, again, the Supreme Court isn't like a, a trial judge, right? It's it's a different type of court, and it's supposed to hear cases that come up through the ranks. But again, this is elections, and you know, emotions are at play. And so, law and order is is uh, is huge. It helps to have have been a prosecutor or have been tough on the bench. I think that's an advantage here. It's a, that's why it's an advantage for. Protosewitz to be a uh, you know former uh, prosecutor too, uh, you know these are good things to be on um, on the resume. Always the problem is if you have a long history, there are these cases that come back uh, and become notorious for some reason. The campaigns, I'm sure, are busy doing their opposition research right now to find such cases or to find things with that, that um, you know, will weaken a candidate in terms of this uh, law and order approach. You know, a smart um, columnist for Isthmus, uh, you know, reminded us recently, uh, you know, about Everett Mitchell uh, leading a chant, what could be seen as an, uh, you know, an anti-police chant uh, after the George Floyd uh, murder. Will that appear in an ad if he uh, wins, gets through the primary? No doubt about it. Now, he seems, you know, like, well, I'll take it on. I know, I'll, I'm proud of my record. I have law enforcement on my side. You know, I'm not afraid to talk about this issue. You know, Mandela Barnes didn't ha- seem to have a ready answer uh, when he was hit with all that in the in the U.S. Senate race. Um, and there was an overwhelming uh, Republican money surge at that point, too. Yeah, I've been wondering, you know, how Mandela Barnes's Senate race might impact Everett Mitchell's campaign, um, since they're both black men who are progressive, particularly on criminal justice issues. I mean, there was, uh, you know, a lot of chatter in, in Democratic circles. Wow. You know, when, when things were looking bad for Mandela Barnes. Wow, you know, wouldn't we have been uh, better off if Sarah Godlewski had been the nominee? Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer who held from Eau Claire, and she was uh, endorsed by uh, abortion rights groups. Well, yeah, but she didn't win the primary. Okay, so, but so Mandela Barnes is there, and you know, even though his campaign seemed to have not have a ready response, or Democrats in general didn't come to his defense, you know, immediately and combat those ads with equal amount of ads of their own. But still, he came within 27,000 votes of of uh, beating an incumbent. If Everett Mitchell gets through the primary, uh, the Democratic Party will be there. The political parties get involved in these races, and uh, the Democratic Party will be there with money. There will be national money coming in and national groups, too. We saw racist attack ads um, surrounding crime, juxtaposing image of Mandela Barnes and a crime scene, that sort of thing. And I, that's what's on my mind is... Well, these are partisan races and there will be partisan tactics. And so I think, uh, you know, the candidates, I mean, they're not naive. These candidates, are, uh, they, know, uh, they know what will, if they enter a race, what, what, what will hit them. And so they, um, they have to be... Uh, uh, prepared for it. Uh, you know, the, it's not these ads are in the court of public opinion, if you will, right? Uh, you know, voters have, if they don't like the ads, well, first of all, they can choose not to look at the ads. But if they look at the ads and don't like them, they can, um, you know, vote um, against the ads if they want. So again, 
after all of that, uh, Mandela Barnes still only lost by 27,000 votes. I think that that certainly doesn't rule out that a black man can be elected statewide in Wisconsin. So I want to talk about people and how they vote and make decisions on the Supreme Court justices. It's a little bit different, right, than some of the other elected offices. So I want to ask, what are the qualifications for running for Supreme Court? You know, it's it, it's a resume, but we also talked that it's important to have a law and order component to, to have been a prosecutor or to have been a DA. Those are, uh, I think, important to voters because they view the courts as a lot of it being uh, surrounding public safety, even though, again, this is not a trial court. This is an appellate court. Right. Uh, and I wanted to just get into the fact you, you pointed out that these candidates should not and likely will not be talking about specifically how they would rule on a case um, because they might have to recuse themselves. But obviously, there's this partisan nature of the court these days. I just wanted to know, has it always been that way? It seems like it, there's been a shift. Yeah, certainly, there has been a shift. It, no, these a lot of these campaigns used to be pretty sleepy. Uh, in some in some instances, some justices won unopposed. I think I have to go back and look. I think David Prosser actually won one of his terms, ten-year terms, unopposed, which is like extraordinary if you think about that today. But you know, the big race, I think that's you know set a partisan tone. Um, you know, for years to come uh, was the 2008 race. Republicans and Republican groups nationally got very involved in this race. And this was part of, this was part of a national trend where Republicans were, as they, like they were doing, um, you know, trying to assert control over state legislatures, they were, they were also um, very um, much trying to take control of uh, state Supreme Courts and state judiciaries. Uh, this was a national thing, and it was going on in Wisconsin. And so, um, you know, that's when um, that's when Republicans, and that was that was a nasty, um, you know, that was a very partisanized race. And um, and so, what ended up happening then is, uh, you know, Repu uh, Republicans, conservatives have been control of the court ever since. Jeff, thank you so much for giving us your political insights. They are invaluable. Yeah, sure, anytime, Bianca. That was Jeff Mayers, president of WISPolitics.com. The primary election is Tuesday, February 21st. The two candidates with the most votes will then move on to the April election. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Five UW-Madison students are running for Madison City Council. This could be a record. They're running to represent three downtown and campus area districts, locations that generally hug the isthmus and include a good portion of the university. And quick shout out to our conversation from last week with current alder Sabrina Madison on what it takes to run for alder. Give it a listen. And can you make a living as a musician in Madison? Who gets opportunities and who succeeds? That's the question the Greater Madison Music City Project is trying to answer. They've got a new report coming out today about the economics of the Madison music scene and our racial disparities. They're talking about it today at Cafe Coda over on Willie Street. The event starts at 4.30. And have you heard that Jefferson Middle School is getting a new name? It's now down to four options. Sally Hemings, Eston Hemings Jefferson, Ezekiel Gillespie, and Maya Angelou. Sally Hemings was the enslaved mother of Thomas Jefferson's children. 
Eston Hemmings Jefferson was one of those children who actually lived in Madison. Ezekiel Gillespie sued Wisconsin for the right to vote. And Maya Angelou is, well, Maya Angelou. I mean, need we say more? The staff of Jefferson Middle School had asked the school board for a new name, one who wasn't a slave owner. The board will vote on the new name next year. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. We're produced by Molly Stenz and Dylan Brogan. Music is by Carl Christensen. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell someone who loves law and order about us? You can also get more news delivered right to your inbox from our friends at Madison Minutes. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Bum, 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 bum.